Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Last week was Easter Sunday. We celebrated the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And it's important to know, brothers and sisters, that the resurrection was a bodily resurrection, as sometimes many take it to mean something else. We had a beautiful sunrise service and a wonderful Easter morning service of the Word and Sacrament. We heard from the readings what the resurrection meant by first looking at what it is not before moving into what it does mean, namely that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, and we will rise from death just as he did, and that death has ultimately been destroyed. And continuing in that vein, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Revelation today to see some descriptive terms that St. John uses to speak of Jesus, namely the witness, the firstborn, and the ruling king. And we're looking at these today so we can, like John intends for us to have, a richer, fuller view of Jesus Christ. So in Revelation that we just heard read, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, we get a lot of vivid imagery here, very descriptive stuff going on. And Revelation is one of those biblical books that makes us uncomfortable. There's a lot of potent imagery in it with its symbols, with multiple shades and depths of meaning, and it can be very difficult for us nowadays to understand Many are offended at some of the more violent images depicted in the book, and some even see it as at odds with the love of God. But we're not going to dwell too much on that today. But what we need to realize first and foremost as we dig into it a little bit is that it is a letter. It is a letter. It was written by St. John to the seven churches in Asia. And there's probably more than seven churches in Asia, so seven here is probably a symbolic number, right, of all of the churches in Asia and whoever winds up reading the book afterwards. And, and John opens with a familiar pattern to New Testament readers. If you spend a lot of time in the epistles, you'll see particularly St. Paul open with this phrase, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. And it's interesting that in the gospel reading that we heard, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he walks through the locked doors and he's just there (laughs) and they're freaking out. And what is the first thing that he says to them? Peace be with you. And when we think back earlier in John, what did he say he would leave with them? He said, my peace I give you. And it is beautiful that after the resurrection, he takes the time to come into the room and greet them again with Peace be with you. And then we see St. John building on this idea, grace to you and peace. But John does something here. He takes this normal Pauline greeting and he expands upon it significantly. He says, from him who was and is and is to come, 
And this is speaking of God the Father. Was, is, and is to come is a reference to the, defi- the divine name given to Moses on the mountain, right? Moses was, was minding his own business, and then <laughs> there's a bush that is on fire. And I love how the Bible puts it. Moses is, in Scripture in Genesis, it says, in, or Exodus, and Moses turned aside to see this sight, right? Like he was just walking, like, oh, that's really interesting to look at. I better just stop and, wow, this is amazing. Uh, it's... A little bit more intense than that, right? He walks past this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. So there's like no smoke or no smell or whatever. And then the bush talks to him. And that would, that would probably freak me out. But God speaks to him through the burning bush. And he says, go tell my people, I'm going to deliver them. And Moses says, well, who am I going to say has, has sent me? And, and God says, I am, right? The divine name in Hebrew, Yahweh, the God who was, the God who is. And then also the God who is to come. And then he says, and from the seven spirits before the throne. Now, this could be used collectively to speak of the Holy Spirit. Or it could also be used to speak of the Jews believed in in basically seven archangels mentioned in the apocryphal book of Enoch, which some of the New Testament writers actually quote in the New Testament. And then lastly, we have, and from Jesus Christ. So we have a possible Trinitarian reference here at the beginning of Revelation, just in a different order. And then John gives three descriptors of Jesus. He calls him the faithful witness. He calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead. And he calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. We're going to spend some time looking at these titles. And it's interesting, as you read through the book of Revelation, these three titles of Jesus, faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, and a ruler of the kings of the earth, you'll see them happening in Revelation over and over and over again. These themes kind of continue, continue through. So let's look at the first one today, Jesus Christ as faithful witness. So when I say the word witness, if you're anything like me, your mind might jump to that old Harrison Ford movie, right, where the Amish kid, he sees a crime, and then he has to protect him so he can testify. Or it may jump to a courtroom TV drama or popular media where somebody sees something, right? And then they have to talk about it, or they have to be protected from nasty people. Or you might think of a person minding their own business who sees a robbery and calls a police station to tell what they saw. This isn't quite what the word witness means in this context, though, right? So witness here comes from the word where we get martyr from, martus. And martyrs in Christian history are faithful even in the face of torture and death to Jesus Christ. They are faithful even to death. Witnesses, the word martyr. They give witness to Jesus Christ through their walking in the pattern that he himself set. As he has died for them, they in turn die for him. Their act of witnessing, their act of testifying is something that is active, right? Something that is lived out. And that's Jesus' faithful act as a faithful witness. He is the faithful witness in that his pattern of living and dying has laid out for his followers how they are to follow him. And this is also a major theme in the book of Revelation. Jesus, the faithful witness. Then we see Jesus as firstborn from the dead. So you might be scratching and thinking, what does this mean? Well, we just celebrated Easter, right? And the resurrection where he destroyed sin's rule over us. And the power of death is something that scares us and binds us. 
St. Paul writes something very helpful in Colossians 1.18. And speaking of Jesus, he's saying, And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So when we're speaking of Jesus as firstborn from the dead, we're speaking here as Jesus as the one who rises from death first, bringing with him the promise of the coming resurrection of those who follow him. The Anglican theologian N.T. Wright, he notes that the Jews expected a general resurrection of the dead at the end of time, but then he says that God does something unexpected, that God brought something that was to come, right, in the future, into our present age where we are now. So the power of that new age that is to come could be released upon the world right now. As the firstborn, Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus' public exaltation of the rights he always possesses, God the Son, surpasses anything that the tempter could have given him. And, and I was thinking about this a little bit, right? When it talks about how Jesus is preeminent, he is above all things in him, all things consist and hold together. And we think about the temptation of Jesus in the Gospels. The devil says, all of this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But what Jesus does through his death and resurrection, he is preeminent in a way that goes above anything the tempter could have even offered him or given him. And number three, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This part of Revelation makes me think of Jesus' interaction with Pilate, right? In John 18, Pilate says to him, you're a king? And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus as the ruler of all of the kings of the earth? This is an odd one here, right? Because it doesn't look like that right now. And we have to remember, it doesn't look that way, too, for the Christians living at the time St. John's writing this letter. We have to put ourselves into the background a little bit. So titles like this, right? Rulers of the king of the earth, Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the one who is above all things. These are all titles, brothers and sisters, that earthly kings have taken upon themselves throughout time. Lord of Lord, King of Kings, they were demanded to be worshipped as gods, and the Roman emperors were no exception to this rule. They took upon themselves divine attributes, right? The Caesars were the Lord of Lords. They were the King of Kings. And here comes a backwater peasant from the middle of nowhere whose followers are saying, this guy <laughs> in, in, in Rome... He might call himself the king of all, the king of all the earth, but the actual king of all the earth was a crucified and resurrected person that lived in the backwater part of the empire where they're always kicking up problems. That's going to blow people's minds back then. It should still blow our minds today that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth, that he is above all, that everyone owes their allegiance to him. John is saying that those who claim to be rulers of the world are in fact not the rulers of the world. The true ruler of everything is actually the risen Christ. And this gives us hope, right, brothers and sisters? Because if Jesus is the true king, if he is the one who is truly ruling over all of the earth, then even in the midst of whatever tumultuous political situation we find ourselves in, whoever is president, right, who, on whichever party or whatever side of the aisle you find yourself on, 
Jesus is the ruler. He is the king of all. He is over all presidents. He is over all congresses. He is over all premiers. He is over all vice presidents, dictators, whatever. Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all. So it doesn't, in a sense, it doesn't matter who is in power because the true power that sustains all things is the true king. And we serve him primarily. We serve him primarily. And no matter what happens to us, as the faithful witness, he has also promised us the resurrection as well. Christ is still ruling and reigning, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of hardship. And so then with these three titles, right, say John then moves into a doxology. And a doxology is a short hymn of praise. When he talks about Jesus as the faithful witness, as he talks about him as the ruler of the kings of all the earth, as he talks to him about the firstborn from the dead, he then moves immediately into a hymn of praise. To him who loved us, Jesus proves and shows his love for us through his blood, through the shedding of his blood through the cross. He is the faithful witness to God's love. Love is visible through action. And like I said to the kids, the cross is the visible identifier of God's love. Not an abstract concept of love, right? Not something just out there that we can't place our minds around, something that we can't see. But as Christians, we can look to the cross in whatever form we find it in, whether we have it as a necklace that we wear or a wristband or even on your wedding ring or even coming here in church and seeing the cross. The cross is a visible reminder of the love of God. That Christ willingly for us laid down his life for us, a supreme act of love to reunite us with the God who loved us and made us for himself. Jesus, John then says, to him who loved us, who freed us from our sin, as the firstborn from the dead, Jesus is preeminent in all things. As the firstborn, he has liberated us from slavery to sin and to death. He has freed us from those things that have held us down, right? Whether you want to call it original sin or ancestral sin, the sin that we as human beings, we all carry in us, Christ has freed us from that, and he has freed us from death. And he has given us the grace to when we are tempted to sin, to say no, to resist. Jesus has led us out of slavery. Just as Moses led the children of Israel out from Egypt, we ourselves are freed from bondage to sin and from death. And then he has made us, John says, a kingdom of priests to God. As the ruling king, Christ has saved us and prepared us for eternal union with God. And he has also prepared us and sent us to be his agents of his kingdom, right? His kingdom has come and he sends us out into the world as his priests. A new kingdom has come, a better kingdom that though it is not always visible, will one day swallow up all of the other kingdoms. And then every eye will finally see Jesus ruling and reigning. And every knee will eventually bow, whether they believe in him and love him, even the ones that don't believe in the claims of Christ, even those who don't believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that Jesus has freed us from death, even those who do not believe, they will bow their knee too in grudging acceptance because there's no other choice when they're confronted with the truth of the reality. But every knee will bow to Christ as king, whether out of love or out of fear because of rejection.
There's a theologian that I really like uh, named Joseph Mangina, and he said this, Jesus Christ loves us, and that makes us who we are. Jesus Christ loves us, and that makes us who we are. He loved us. He freed us from our sin. He made us a kingdom of priests, and those things, brothers and sisters, that what makes us who we are, not by vision quests to eastern countries to find ourselves, right? We find ourselves on the cross. We find ourselves in and through the love of Jesus Christ. And as St. John said, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would take a few minutes and go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash Stone. We are fundraising in order to give our building some much-needed repairs, and anything you'd be able to donate to us would be greatly appreciated. You can also find us online, zionstoneucc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, zionstoneucc. Uh, if you could also go to iTunes and rate this five stars, that would help with our visibility. And you can also listen and share this podcast on Spotify as well. Once again, thanks for listening and God bless you.